More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to Survivor Sanctuary. This is Kelly, and it's our very first Survivor Sanctuary episode on the road. I am coming at you from Ohio, the great state of Ohio. You know, when you live in Miami, you visit places like Ohio when you go on vacation. There's not really anywhere more tropically. I mean, I guess you can get a little more tropical. But for the most part, yeah, when I go on vacation, it's always to somewhere, or usually I should say, to somewhere in the Midwest, and I should probably switch that up at some point. But I have a lot of family in Ohio, so I'm happy to be visiting with everybody this week. And you know what? You just pack up the mic and the show goes on. Well, last week here on Survivor Sanctuary, we began a conversation with a survivor and advocate, Katie Trout. And her story is, of course, heartbreaking, as most stories of abuse are, but there's so much more to Katie's story and some actually pretty exciting things that have happened very recently that Katie is going to tell us about as we dive into part two of our conversation. So let's get back to our chat with Katie Trout. We've got to do a better job of empowering people to come forward when they have you know, gut feelings that something is off or they have concerns. And I think a lot of that has to do with just making people in the church more comfortable with talking about abuse. I never heard, I think even the word abuse mentioned in the whole time I was at the church there. So it's up to us to kind of start that dialogue and let them know, like, you know, these predators intentionally go into churches knowing that church people think they're supposed to be kind and nice and polite to everybody who comes in, despite maybe even not knowing them that well. And they're, they're working with our children. And instead, we're just usually super thrilled that somebody wants to work with the kids, you know? Um, it's like you, you're just happy to have an extra set of hands. Um, and in a lot of cases, you just overlook things because a person wants to volunteer with our kids. I'm sure they have no ill intent and people just bury their heads in the sand. Yeah. And somehow we've, we've got to change thought process for, unfortunately, like how we view each other in church and help them understand like predatory behavior. And then unfortunately not, not everybody in church has the best of intentions, which I think is extremely difficult for a lot of Christians to wrap their heads around at all. Yeah. No, there's a lot of resistance to that. It's, it's that idea that everyone is redeemable and everything, you know, we just, a sin is a sin and every person deserves grace and mercy and compassion. And then you have wolves in sheep's clothing that are literally ripping people apart. And we're just like, well, let's be nice to them because, you know, a sin is a sin. It's just sad. I totally agree. You mentioned something about, you know, it needing to be us kind of starting the conversation. And I totally I totally think that it's always on survivors 
to be the ones that kind of start warning other people and start the conversation. But it's frustrating because if a pastor never says the word abuse, the whole time you're growing up, you never hear that. And I didn't either. You know, I was in church like 10 times a week. I was constantly there and never, you know, the word abuse is never brought up. No one talks about sexual abuse. And I think that it would go such a long way if the leadership would actually say something like preach a sermon where you talk about abuse, you know, where you say how God feels about abuse. Uh, And I don't think that that's happening in many places at all. It definitely was not happening in the church I grew up in. And it has to start with the top for people under the primary pastor are going to get behind this idea. They need to hear it from them, you know, because they're the ones that make it okay to go ahead and talk about it. Exactly. And at least in my experience, there there's just no openness right now to talking about maybe the patriarchal structure that is contributing to some of these cases of abuse that are happening or starting that dialogue about, you know, what we can be doing to combat this and make our church a more safe and welcoming environment for her people to come forward. Yeah, we need we need for leadership to be on board to ask these questions and to lead, to lead the rest of the congregation to care. Because if you don't ever talk about abuse and you don't ever preach about abuse and you never encourage anybody to come forward or to get therapy or anything like that, then people are automatically just going to consider that a subject that's not to be talked about in church. Mm-hmm. And nothing's going to change until the subject becomes less taboo. And I don't know if you find this in like your advocacy, but I feel like when you just start talking about abuse and you just tell your story and, you know, we're talking in normal voices and we're normal people. And I I feel like it just opens a floodgate in a lot of the people who are listening. And suddenly they're all like, oh, yeah, I have this experience or I have this experience or this happened to one, you know, one of my friends or and people really start talking. So I know if leadership would actually make the effort that it would go a long way toward people feeling free to come forward and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons they aren't talking is they know that if they start addressing it, they're going to have the floodgates open with people that they then have to help. And I think a lot of them just either don't want to deal with that or just aren't prepared. So they're not going to do anything. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you know, one of my previous podcast episodes was you can't serve God and in insurance policies because honestly, that's just the bottom line. And it is the bottom line. <laughs> like if churches start being really open about abuse and encouraging people to tell their stories, then they're opening themselves up to potential lawsuits and nobody wants that. So I think, I mean, it's sad. It, it makes me sad to say that, but I honestly don't see another reason for being so unwilling to tackle abuse. Yeah. And I've, I've said often that my church viewed me as a liability rather than somebody who had been hurt on their watch. And that's heavy to come to terms with that these people around you who are supposed to be examples of Jesus actively stopped your healing by not offering any help. And they do, I think. That's exactly how they view survivors. I think um, I've said before, it's like we're the customer that falls down in the fancy store and everybody just swoops in to keep that person, like whatever you do, keep them from suing. 
I don't even know if they did anything to help make me happy. I think they just, they just hid their heads and said, okay, we did our part. We're moving on. Don't, don't worry about her anymore. And the thing that makes that so like such a slap in the face is that it's not possible for you to just move on. It may be possible for the church leadership to move on, but that's not something that's possible for you. No. I mean, as all of us survivors know, it's never gone. It's part of everything that we do every day, I feel like. And I think knowing that is the reason I've started to become more outspoken with my story and look for ways that I can help with help other survivors with things that they're dealing with and, you know, also advocating for changes here in North Carolina on a state level, legislatively, just knowing that we got to start doing things. And you have started doing things. And I wanted to talk about that on the podcast because um, I've been following you the last couple of days and the last week, especially you had some really big stuff that you were dealing with. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So Thursday and Friday of last week were very crazy for me. I had been working with um, a lawmaker since early spring um, on a bill that he's he was trying to get passed that would expand the statute of limitations for survivors to sue their abusers in civil court. Right now, I think adults have till age 21. And I think for those under that age, they have maybe three years past when it happened. So obviously, we know the average age of disclosure is 52. And those ages were not sufficient to help anybody. So started talking with him and shared my story and was emailing parts of my story to different lawmakers since March and just explaining to them, like, this is why this is important and went through a list of the common questions, you know, that we hear so often with, well, they can't, there's no way they can remember things that long ago, or they're just out out to get money, things like that. So just tried to disprove a bunch of those from my point of view. And eventually things started moving a little bit faster here in the last month or so as the session wraps up where it got wrapped, the statute of limitations extension got wrapped into a larger bill um, that some other lawmakers had worked on that increases um, mandatory reporting standards and also closes some loopholes with very old laws that had to do with consent. And it came up for a vote last Thursday and the Senate passed it unanimously. The House passed it unanimously. And right now we're just waiting for the governor um, to sign that. So it was just kind of a crazy moment knowing that something I'd been able to work on and share my story with people had finally paid off and finally be able to sue my abuser um, next year. That's so awesome. Like all of that stuff that you've helped with. That's, that's awesome. Like to hear. And I I bet it gives you like just some sense of, I don't know the right word, but a fulfillment maybe. Uh, Cause what you've gone through just sucks and nothing's going to make it not suck. But the fact that you're able to do this so that other people uh, will have more options, I think is pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've always felt really passionate that the way that I can do something with what happened is through the legislative process and helping laws improve to help survivors. And this one will not only benefit myself, but so many other people who have wanted to come forward and do something with their case 
but just haven't been able to because of the laws that were on the books. Yeah, that's so cool. When I was reading, uh, I think it was your, you, you put an update on Facebook. Like, I was so excited for you. Like, that's just really cool. Oh, thank you. Um, Friday, do we want to talk about last Friday? That's what I was going to get to next. Yes, if you don't mind talking about that. Um, there was another pretty big thing that happened with you on Friday. Yeah, so about three weeks ago, I got a letter from the district attorney's office in Charlotte letting me know that my abuser had put in a petition to be removed from North Carolina's sex offender registry. Um, Under the terms of his conviction, he was able to petition at 10 years to come off, and this was actually year 14. So it was very much out of the blue when I heard about that, and I decided that I did want to go to the hearing and speak and make a statement opposing that removal. You know, I don't, I don't ever get to come off any sort of list like he would. You know, survivors get a life sentence with abuse, and I think he should be on. He should receive the full consequences of his actions, even though it'll never be enough. But I was not going to give him the satisfaction of letting that happen. So last Friday I went and, you know, we sat in the courtroom and I got to hear his attorney talk about how much, how much he'd lost and he's lost time with his son and he's lost income with his business and just so many things, you know, that he's missed out on based on his choices. And they called me up and for the first time I was able to tell my whole story on my terms and he couldn't he couldn't not listen finally and it was just kind of an out of body experience i felt like something kind of took over and i just there was like this sense of empowerment like i have never had before as i went through it and i'm so thankful that i had the opportunity and that i chose to do it despite intense stress leading up over those few weeks and lack of sleep knowing i was going to have to see him again you know, it's just been a few days, but I feel so much lighter and freer and just having had the opportunity to speak. And so after I spoke, the judge did deny his petition to come off the registry. And so he will be on it for another year. Good. Good. How did, I mean, you've said it was like an out of body experience, but I can't imagine that. First of all, you're really, really brave because it would have been a lot easier to just not go and face him. So that part is just awesome. But did, I mean, you said it made you feel lighter. Did you feel like maybe more justice had been done with the opportunity that you had to be able to speak and to share your story and to share the impact that he's had on you? Oh, definitely. I think the best way I have of describing it is I feel like younger me, you know, 15 to 19 year old me finally got to share with people just what went on and the truly great impact that that trauma has had on me and my family. And it's like younger me finally got to have her day and let people know this happened and it shouldn't have happened. And this is the man who did it. And it was just like this weight of these memories and these secrets and this weight that I've been carrying for so long, just had somewhere to go and has left. That's so awesome. That is. And honestly, it's a, it's a gift that you gave younger you Mm -hmm. 
and and also I think current you. And just because of, I mean, that, that was courageous. That was really courageous. I can imagine that that was a really, really difficult thing to be facing. Yeah. You never think you're going to be back in the same room with the man who did horrible things to you. Um, you know, he can't hurt you at that point, but I think your body still remembers that terror that it felt when you were around him. Yeah, exactly. Our bodies don't forget, unfortunately. And I think that that's just essentially what you said, you get to serve a life sentence because your body and your mind are not ever going to completely forget what happened to you. So, you know, that's something that people don't understand. I think a lot of times when they, they don't understand why survivors fight so hard for laws and they fight so hard for other victims. And it's because we all know we're never, I mean, there's healing and I always want to encourage people with that. You know, you come a long way, but there are things that we struggle with every single day, a lot of times for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and you might get, you might heal from one trigger and then another one pops up. Yeah. It's like lots and lots of layers. Yes. That's, I have always kind of termed it like a really rotten onion that you get rid of one layer and there's another. Wait, no, that's a really good way of describing it. <laughs> I had a therapist once who called it like an artichoke because she didn't like an onion analogy. But honestly, an artichoke is too pretty. I like the rotten onion <laughs> analogy. That, that fits a lot better. I like that. Oh, man. You know, and onions make you cry. So Exactly. Oh, my goodness. So, Katie, you, you mentioned you're, you're advocating. And can you tell us a little bit about what you do to try and help victims and survivors of sexual abuse? Well, I'm pretty active on Twitter, um, which is fortunately how you and I met. Yay! I know. I love I love the Twitter community for survivors. I hope more will get on here because it's been such a huge part of my healing. You know, even though we can't see each other, there is such community in being able to find people who truly get it. That that support just goes such a long way. And I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now if I hadn't found um, just a great bunch of survivors over the last few years who have help me come out of hiding essentially to share with with other people. I definitely want to keep advocating on the legislative level. The statute of limitations for the bill that I helped with only went up to 28, but they did include what's called a look back window for 2 years where any survivor who has been abused will be able to file a civil lawsuit for 2 years starting in January. That's awesome. No, that is, that's such an opportunity for so many people to finally come forward that I'm just trying to let as many people know about it as possible. But that age 28 definitely has, you know, we need to do some more work with that. And, you know, I'm just, the more I talk about it, the more I come across people who you would never obviously look at them and say, oh, something's happened to them. But the more brave you're able to find within yourself, the more people start, I think, gravitating towards you and are more willing to share their stories. And I just find the opportunity to talk with people who've been hurt similarly, just such an honor. And being able to share kind of what I've been through too, it's healing for me and hopefully healing, you know, for them. Exactly. It is. It's like giving people permission to be able to feel what they feel and and share the truth of what's happened rather than like putting a mask on and pretending that everything's fine and it infuriates me that we have to go to twitter for that like it just does you know when 
you have like this, this community that you grew up in who should have been helping you doing everything that they could to support you and just showing you they had your back and were instead going on social media and talking to complete strangers and finding a community there because we're not finding it in our churches. It is really disappointing when you think about it. We, I think, like I said before, like we just have so much education to do. And I think it starts with personal relationships with people, especially with those who maybe still attend the same church. Um, I really try not to talk to those who are still in the church where everything happened. Um, I don't ever want to frame the church in such a way where it becomes so negative that they don't want to engage with me at all. But I am honest about the way I was treated and make it so they understand, like, this is not the way the body of Christ should be responding. So I think it's just going to take more one-on-one conversations about how abuse works and the damage that it causes and why trauma and abuse are such a huge mission field for churches to be a part of right now. You know, I just since we're back on the subject of the church's response, there there is a question I wanted to ask you about last Friday, and it was something that you shared on on Facebook. Um, you said that a few people from the church actually sent letters in support of your abuser to try and help him be able to have his name removed from the sex offender registry. That is correct, and maybe I should have been better prepared for this, but. I was not expecting that at all. Um, The district attorney pulled one of them out and told me the woman's name. And it literally knocked the breath out of me in hearing who it was from. Because this woman had led the drama group that we were a part of. And she came to graduation parties and all different sorts of things with my family. And we knew her very well. And we were very close to her. and. To find out that she had gone and done this to me in support of him was like getting hit upside the head with a baseball bat. Like I had never experienced such blatant betrayal, except probably by him with all this. Um, the arguments she used were that, well, he didn't, he didn't have any other victims. That he told you about. Exactly. I'd like to know how she knows that because I don't even know that. And she said that. The abuse was minor as described by me to her when I told her about it. So I didn't know that I was apparently supposed to share every single detail about my assaults in order for it to be believed. So I'm trying not to let that part bother me too much um, in light of how much good came out of Friday, but it still stings knowing how close we had been with her and There were two other letters um, in support of him being removed from the registry, and both of those letters were from people who had been at the church with us. So the church just has such a long way to go. (laughs) Right. And I don't think they realize how, like, re-traumatizing it is. Yeah. I mean, I was in this drama group where, you know, we're obviously sharing messages about a God of justice and one who cares about people. And it's just like, where's the disconnect between that guy we're talking about and then how you're responding to the abuse that I experienced by this man? There's just really no way to reconcile that. I can only guess that she is just experiencing maybe a lot of guilt over not seeing what was happening right in front of her. And she just doesn't want to face that. 
Yeah, that sounds like it could definitely be the truth. And I think that, too, that people just, they need to be able to view life in the terms that they're used to viewing it, you know, through whatever colored glasses they're viewing the world, they need to hold on to that. And if that means, you know, turning on someone so they can feel okay about everything, then that's what they do. And that makes me sad. I, I, I was heartbroken when I, when I read that, when you posted that on um, Facebook, I mean, it was awesome what happened, but then, you know, that was like just some not great tasting icing on the cake. Yeah. And I, I haven't quite even decided if I'm going to respond to her at all or not. You know, in some ways, I think let's just move on. You know, Katie, you got what you needed. He's still on the registry for another year. But then at the same time, I wonder if this is like a great opportunity for me to better educate her on the experience of sexual abuse and how it works and ways not to respond to victims when they share. So. I don't know what I'm going to do there just yet. I'm trying to mull that one over just a little bit more. Well, you definitely did a great thing. Despite some of the negativity, um, you're right. That is a, a big thing to focus on, that his name is still on the registry, and that that is definitely a good thing. Yeah. Um, I will do as much as I can to make sure that people know what he did so he can't keep doing it to other people. Well, Katie, tell everybody how they can find you on social media so people can follow you and support you and find out more about what you're doing. Well, I would love if people connected with me on Twitter, um, Katie, K-A-T-I-E, letter S, and then Trout Like the Fish um, on there. And would love to get to know more people and connect. Katie S. Trout on Twitter. I already follow you there, so um, I will be continuing to follow your story. But I appreciate so much uh, you being willing to share with us today on Survivor Sanctuary. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and I hope we can connect again face-to-face a little bit more next Courage Conference. Yes, absolutely. Already planning my strategy for the next Courage Conference and everybody that I want to be able to talk to more and interact with more. There were so many people, and you were one of them, Katie, who I wish that I had been able to spend more time with at the Courage Conference. Well, a big thank you once again to Katie Trout for sharing her story with us here on Survivor Sanctuary. And PSA for a second, I just feel like I need to make a public service announcement. You know that old saying, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Well, that's all that I can think of when I hear stories like Katie's and they're in the news all the time as well. And it this happens over and over and over again, where someone is about to be sentenced for a horrific crime of abuse against a child, or they're trying to get off the sex offender registry, as in Katie's case. And you have... I'm sure they're well-meaning people, but they are writing letters to the judge and letters to the district attorney in support of the perpetrators. They're usually not writing letters in support of the person's victims who are dealing with the after effects of the abuse that they've suffered. This is usually happening, especially by church people, in support of perpetrators. And I think it's a great time to just stop if you're ever considering writing one of those letters and think to yourself, how would I feel if I was one of this man's victims and somebody wrote a letter supporting him as opposed to supporting me? 
And then I think if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. If you can't say something in support of a survivor of sexual abuse, don't say anything at all. But public service announcement, stop writing letters in support of people who have violated children, uh, sexually assaulted human beings. That's not to say that every abuser has to be treated in this exact way and you have to only say certain things to them. The point is when it comes to people who are being punished for their crimes and their crimes, these are literally crimes people are committing against other human beings. And you have people, especially those who claim to be of the faith, pleading with judges, pleading with district attorneys, please don't make this guy suffer. Please don't make this lady suffer anymore. Um, You know, the abuse wasn't that bad. There weren't any more victims. He's suffered long enough. Uh, I just, I cannot say enough about how much that hurts as a survivor of sexual abuse, how much it stings. I, I mean, when Katie was explaining it, she said that when she heard the name of the person who had written this letter and realized it was someone she had actually been pretty close to and that her family had been pretty close to, it felt like she had got hit upside the head with a baseball bat and the breath literally left her lungs. That's how it feels when you support a perpetrator at the expense of the perpetrator's victims. It's just how it feels. So if you can't show up to support 100% a survivor of sexual abuse, someone who has been victimized, then how about you just stay out of it entirely? I would just, that's my public service announcement, just stay out of it entirely because the damage that you do, I can't explain in the few minutes that I have on the tail end of a podcast how much this hurts survivors. And it doesn't just hurt the survivor that your particular case is about. When I hear stories like that, stories like Katie's, it hurts me personally that there are people who are rallying in support of a man who has destroyed lives. It's super, super painful. So I'm sure if you're listening to Survivor Sanctuary, odds are you're a person who really, really, really cares about survivors and fingers crossed that's true. But just in case you wandered into Survivor Sanctuary and you're kind of on the fence about how to deal with the survivors in your own life, well, I think that a great tip is don't ever write one of those letters. Just don't do it. It hurts. It re-traumatizes. I feel like the only thing that is worse than the abuse itself is when Christian people rally around the abuser at the expense of the victim. Just sucks. Don't know how else to put it. So uh, thanks again to Katie. I will link to her Twitter profile in the show notes. So you can just click there and find her on Twitter and follow her and her story. Well, I'm going to get back to enjoying my good old Ohio vacation. Uh, lots of cows. And of course, here just in time for the worst weather in the history of weather. Okay, maybe not the worst, but it's very cold. That's all I'm saying. I have to be wrapped under like 17 blankets at all times. But I'm going to try to get through it. Going to try to do it for a few more days. And uh, in the meantime, stay warm. And join us on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. Just search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook. Ask to join and I will add you into the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And we've got some great conversations going on there. I will catch you back here on the next episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then. 
Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.